We've now come to the end of our series, More Than Conquerors, on the book of Revelation. Next Sunday, we're kicking off a new series to kick off the Advent season. And uh, today, we're actually going to kick off the whole Christmas season. Uh, After the service, we're going to have the Christmas reef-making event. Uh, The event got sold out within 24 hours, Um, so we're so encouraged to see many people uh, gather in our building uh, to enjoy making Christmas wreaths. But um, if your spouse is attending and you have no idea what to do during that time, or if you want to uh, hang out a bit more today to have lunch, you're welcome to crash my place. Um, so just please come talk to me if you want to have lunch at my place while a few of our members uh, and guests will enjoy Christmas wreath making. So we've come now to chapters 21 and 22, the last two chapters of Revelation, also the last two chapters of the entire Bible. And they are the two most important chapters of the Bible. Let me tell you why. I think the point of these last two chapters of the Bible is to awaken longing. Because it's true, what we long for determines what we live for. Because we are orientated towards some goal, some end, some vision of the good life. And that is what our desires are aimed at. And how you live is shaped by what you desire. And so, as I've said in my introduction to this series, as we've been reminded by our service leaders each Sunday, with this quote from James K.A. Smith. And again, I want to land on this quote again as we end the book of Revelation. James K.A. Smith says, Rather than being pushed by belief, we are pulled by a telos that we desire. I'll get uh, Kevin to pull up that quote, please. Rather than being pushed by beliefs, we are pulled by a telos that we desire, an effective, sensible, even aesthetic picture of what the good life looks like. A vision of the good life captures our hearts, our imaginations, not by providing a set of rules on ideas, but painting a picture of what it looks like for us to flourish and live well. In other words, what we long for determines what we live for. And so the vision and picture that we have here in chapters 21 and 22 is the new creation. After Jesus brings justice on earth, when he delivers final judgment to bring justice and righteousness on earth, he then ushers in the new heaven and the new earth. And the new creation is visualized in these chapters as a temple city as well as a garden city. A temple city in chapters 21 and a garden city in chapter 22. So let's look at this vision of the temple city. From verse 9 of chapter 21, we read, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And so subsequent to God's final judgment, that same angel who had the seven bowls invite John to see the bride of the Lamb. But he also actually sees 
the city, a holy city. And it becomes clear that this is a temple city because the temple is where God dwells. And in verse 11, we read that the city shines the glory of God like a jewel, very vividly. In verses 12 to 13, the temple city has gates on all four sides to symbolize people entering from the four corners of the world. In other words, all the nations will come into this holy city. And in the ancient world, benefactors often had their names inscribed on the public works that they had funded. We had something similar today in foundation stones inscribed with the names of the dignitaries who laid them. Verse 14 shows the temple city has 12 foundations inscribed with the names of the apostles who led them. And this is a reference to apostolic witness, testimony, and the teaching that we find in our Bibles in the New Testament. In other words, the people of God, the church, the temple city is created by the preaching of the gospel and is secured by the gospel. And the measurements in the temple city is symbolic. So 12,000 stadia is a picture of completeness i.e. the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, times a 1,000, symbolic of multitude. And so together, the multitude is complete. This massive city contains all of God's redeemed people throughout all time and all history. The width of the wall, we read, is 144 cubics, symbolic of 12 squared. Perhaps it's a reference to the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles and their testimony making the church secure. The point is clear that once the persecuted Christians will now be eternally secure within the city walls. This security is then reinforced by the presence of angelic watchmen on every city gate. The city is not only 1,400 miles long and wide, it's also 1,400 miles tall. So just a bit of a reference, Everest is about six miles tall, and at the top of Everest, it's pretty hard to breathe. So 1,400 miles is really taking us beyond the Earth's atmosphere. It's symbolizing that this whole city is the most holy place where God meets his people. If you go to verse 22 and 23, it tells us there is no temple because the city itself is a temple. In the city of God, we will live with God forever. God will dwell with his people forever. His glory will be unveiled forever. And remarkably, it also says that the city will also not only be, well, what's remarkable is that the city is so full of God's glory, it says there's no need for the sun and moon. Just really imagine that. God's glory will be so bright and so full, there's no need for the sun or moon. And even more remarkably, it says, if you go to verse 26, look at that, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it implying that the city that is filled, so filled with God's glory, there's actually some space for human glory, the glory and the honor of the nations, meaning that the best of human culture, 
is incorporated into the city. It's unclear how this works, but there's going to be some measure of cultural continuity between this age and the next. It's unclear how it works, but really one can imagine, can't we? One can long and imagine. So imagine the beauty of Sydney Harbour and beaches in God's temple city. Imagine feasting on French croissants and baguettes in the holy city, perhaps even with Japanese sashimi and sushi, or Italian design and architect there in the eternal city, African wildlife, South American football teams, their skill, their passion. This temple city doesn't replace the glories of this world. Instead, it fulfills them. All that is good in the economies and the cultures of the nations will find a place in the New Jerusalem. It's unclear how it works, but boy, one can long and imagine. My goodness, what a spectacular place it will be. Actually, what a wonderful home it will be. Renovations, restorations, beyond our wildest imagination. In Revelation 22, the angel reappears to John, and now the imagery shifts. We're still in the city, but now it's not a temple city, but a garden city. Read there, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the land will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. Where do we read about the tree of life? Well, if you're familiar with your Bible, We know about the tree of life in the first book of the Bible, at the start of the Bible, in Genesis. And here we see it again. And what we see here again is that the image of the Garden of Eden that we saw in Genesis is now restored. A river flows through the Garden Sea just as the river flowed through Eden. The tree of life stood in the center of Eden, now stands in the center of the city And the river sustains the tree of life. But we can notice that this life-giving river flows from the throne of God and the Lamb. Ultimately, it is the Lamb who gives life. And it says there will no longer be any curse. There will be no sin, pain, suffering, illness. There will be no Satan and his effects in this garden city. Sin will no longer threaten and ruin our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, and our relationship with creation. This we can actually have realistic vision and imagination. One day there will be no teething problems, cries in the middle of night. One day there will be no chronic diseases. One day there will be no need for vengeance. 
One day there will be no pain of the heart of broken relationships. One day there will be no war. There will be no politics. And one day there will be no pollution. Hole in the ozone layer. One day our world will be made perfect. The new creation is a temple garden city. It's the whole creation made new. Why are we given this spectacular vision of the new creation? It's to awaken our longing for God's holy city, the bride of Christ, so we would not be seduced by the counterfeit city, whom we've learned about Babylon, the prostitute. Last week, the previous chapters raises the questions of where do you belong, Babylon or Jerusalem? Today, this passage presses this further and asks, where do you call home? Is home Babylon the prostitute or is home Jerusalem the bride of the Lamb? Mark Twain is supposed to have said, it's not the part of the Bible I don't understand that bothers me, it's the parts that I do understand. It's not the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bothers me, it's the parts that I do understand. And I think it's the same thing with the book of Revelation. The problem with the book of Revelation is not that we can't understand it. Now having understood the message of the book of Revelation through this series, the real challenge is to live by it. That is the real challenge that might bother us. Because the real challenge as instructed by the book of Revelation is to live with godly wisdom, to resist, to defy the seductions of our current day Babylon. The real challenge is to live with patient endurance in the face of ridicule, mistreatment, persecution by whether political, cultural forces or power. How can we live out these instructions today as his followers? Well, it's by our continual, committed worship of the one true God, Jesus Christ, our conquering Lord. It's by our faithful and regular worship of Jesus that will awaken our longing for the temple garden city of God. Because what we've learned in the book of Revelation is that our worship is warfare. By our wholehearted worship of Jesus, it sustains our imagination for Christ and his kingdom. By our wholehearted worship of Jesus, we are inspired by the word and by each other, to resist the seductions and the threats of the prostitute and the beasts. By our wholehearted worship of Jesus, we eternalize God's truth to defend ourselves from the lies of Satan. By our wholehearted worship of Jesus, we proclaim victoriously that we are more than conquerors because whatever power and seductions of this world, we would not succumb. For we long and live for the greater and better reign of Jesus Christ. 
It is by our wholehearted, committed, ongoing worship of Jesus that we fight, that we grow and become wise and we faithfully endure to live for the one who is victorious. Let's pray that we would be a church who will never give up worshipping Jesus. Our Father in heaven, we ask that this vision today would awaken our longing, awaken our imagination, awaken our desires for what is to come, our new home, our new creation, our new temple garden city, who dwarfs any kind of city, any kind of kingdom that we would find here on earth. Father, by our worship, may we be guarded by your word and spirit to not succumb for anything less. May we as a church faithfully endure for the years to come to long for that day where we would be with you face to face in all of your glory that puts the sun and the moon to look like marbles. Father, orientate our hearts and our desires to Jesus, who loved us and saved us and will love us for all eternity, Lord. Father, may we fight the good fight, not with our fists, not raising firearms, but raising our hearts, raising our voices, raising our arms in worship of the one who defeated our enemy, sin and Satan. In you, we are more than conquerors. In your son's name we pray, amen.